Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'm your host, as always, and as always as well, I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I'm on remote today, so I'm not in Cleveland right now. Yeah. Kind of cool. It's kind of cool. A remote recording, so that's pretty sweet. It shouldn't sound any yeah, different, cool. though, because <laughs> it's the same process, but now everyone knows that Just it's ma- remote. makes you feel a little bit cooler. It does, and, and now it. our listeners are probably like, you know what? There is something a little different about this now that they he know it sounds remote. cooler. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Well, it is, it is August 1st. And with that comes the end of the trade deadline. Now there are still moves to be made through waivers. That's still another month of, of movement, but there certainly is a flurry at the end of August and at the start, or excuse me, at the end of July and at the start of August uh, for the non waiver trade deadline, a lot of players were getting moved uh, this summer, Chris. Um, I wouldn't say a whole lot of big names. I, I think last year we might have seen a little, uh, some a lot more upper end talent, but still, trades were made a lot. And to my surprise, and I'm betting to your surprise as well, the Cleveland Indians were right in the thick of it, wouldn't you say? Yes, I, I would argue that the Cleveland Indians had the most drama around them this trade deadline which is a rarity because normally they're on the other side of it uh, getting the prospects Um, not only did they have drama but they made two pretty significant moves uh, to improve their team down the stretch here Um, I think Cleveland fans know the drama we're going to talk about but Bob I think we should focus on the players they acquired first and uh, focus on the fact that the Indians made a pretty bold trade for Andrew Miller, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, very bold trade, just considering uh, what they gave up to to get him. I mean, they, they unloaded some of their top-end talent, in particularly in Clint Frazier. Uh, the, the, their first-round selection from 2013 was just recently promoted to AAA. I uh, was having a really fine season in AA. Uh, they gave that top prospect up. They gave up a couple other good solid prospects as well to get that reliever i'd say in terms of all the guys that were moved uh through this trade deadline andrew miller probably one of the top five guys moved and i i think you can make the argument that short of a chapman and maybe a couple of the i mean andrew miller might have been the best player moved especially considering the nine million dollar contract that he is under for the next two years i know he's a setup reliever guy, but uh, he's dominant, absolutely dominant, and, and gives Terry Francona and that Indians bullpen not only a go-to guy in whatever situation, be it closing, setting up, or being spot relief, but a dominant left-handed pitcher, which is a serious issue of need uh, in the Indians bullpen. Bold move, and I, I love it. I think it is a, a perfect move for the Indians right now. Yeah, I um I like it too. Um, I, I do think the price was a little high, um, regardless of what you think about prospects. Uh, Clint Frazier was a good prospect, so uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. And then, uh, of course, you know Justice Sheffield, the other prospect move. Those are two pretty pretty solid names. So uh, it, they definitely had to pay to get them. But 
when you strike out 77 batters in 45.1 innings with a whip of .77 and an ERA of 139, those are closer-type numbers. And let's just be realistic. Uh, the only reason uh, Andrew Miller wasn't the closer is because he was pitching behind Adronis, excuse me, Adronis Chapman who was traded to the Cubs. So uh, Miller does have nine saves on the year, 16 holds, and he's a 6-1 and win-loss win record. So very impressive numbers from this lefty, and that's the other key here. The Indians finally have a left-handed arm in this bullpen or rotation that they can go to to match up on some of these left-handed hitters. Look, I think the lefty-righty thing is slightly overrated. The Indians have shown you can build a rotation without a left-handed pitcher. But I do think you need a lefty somewhere in the bullpen just to switch things up every now and then. And that was one big hole on this team. I didn't expect the Indians to go big like this and get Andrew Miller. I'm certainly happy they did. Bob, I guess the key question is now, do you slide Andrew Miller into the closer's role because it's, Cody Allen's numbers aren't as good as Andrew Miller's, but they're not bad. I still think Cody Allen's one of the better closers in the league, especially if you're just looking at it, the American League. But I'd say he's top 10 in all of baseball. Um, do you move Cody Allen out of that role when he hasn't de- done anything to deserve moving him out of that role? Or, or, or do you think Terry Francona, be, with Miller being the only lefty in the pen, do you think Terry Francona doesn't want him saddled to the ninth inning and, and would rather match him up a little bit more? Well, I think that we are talking about two high-end players, and I think you could do no wrong going either way, moving Cody Allen into the setup role or Andrew Miller into the closing role or, or, or vice versa. Um, you know, Andrew Miller gives a very compelling case to be that go-to guy in the ninth inning. Last year in 2015, his only year as the go-to closer, 36 saves, 204 ERA, 0.86 whip, 100 strikeouts in 61 and two-thirds innings pitched on his way to being named American League Reliever of the Year. So that's an absolutely compelling case to move him into that closer role. That being said, Andrew Miller has been just as dominant in this year and in 2014 as the setup guy. And currently in the middle of the season, Andrew Miller was the setup guy was okay being that eighth inning guy Cody Allen for this season is turning in another fine good season as the closer is at 20 saves already has 57 strikeouts you know last year uh, 99 strikeouts uh, for 34 saves so Cody Allen is, is a very good closer as well I am tending to lean towards not disrupting the status quo and keeping Cody Allen as the closer just because that's the field that he's in right now and Andrew Miller as your setup guy because that's what he is accustomed to in this year that also gives you tons of flexibility and spot starting Andrew Miller against that lefty matchup yeah I, and it creates a I'll go ahead no, I'm sorry I, I agree 100 I, I don't think you should disrupt the status quo because Cody Allen hasn't done anything to lose his job so I don't think you want to have a new guy come in here and possibly shake things up I don't know how Cody Allen would react to that. He seems like a professional guy. But I think if something's not broken, don't fix it. Um, I certainly think Andrew Miller should be at least the setup guy. But the other reason I wouldn't put Andrew Miller as the closer on this team is because of the fact that he is really the only left-handed guy they have. Now, I know that they've called up some guys from AAA from time to time. But 
none of them have stuck. Andrew Miller is definitely going to stick. So I, if if I'm managing the Indians, I would keep Allen in the closer's role because he he's shown that he can be an excellent closer. And now you have the flexibility to pitch Andrew Miller when you have the lefty-lefty matchup instead of locking him into that ninth inning every single time. I think because he's a lefty, he will be that setup slash roving pitcher in the bullpen, and that's just fine because I think that's what they need him to be. They need him to match up against those lefties in critical situations. Yeah, and I think sliding Miller into that setup role and also kind of the lefty specialist as well in those tight innings, not necessarily in the eighth inning, I think it creates a much bigger domino effect along the rest of the Indians' bullpen. You know, Brian Shaw has had quite the down year. You know, he was thought to be the go-to setup guy. Now the pressure's off him. He can go into kind of regular relief roles and go in the sixth and seventh inning, maybe spot. Uh, start the eighth inning Andrew Miller can come in and close the eighth inning down and it just trickles down from there so expectations are now lessened for the rest of the bullpen which has done a very fine job you know Andrew Miller has pitched on World Series championship teams he's pitched for New York for Boston has been in the spotlight he has shown he can close he can set up he can spot relief Uh, he is he can take on any pressure amounted on him and do an amazing job so it just creates a huge ripple effect if you leave him in that flexible role of being a setup guy and also being that spot lefty guy. Yeah, and talking about Brian Shaw, I really hope that this takes some pressure off of him because he has been a fine setup man up until this year. If Brian Shaw can revert to the Brian Shaw we knew and love uh, on the field, that would just be even better to have a Shaw, a Shaw pre-2016 Miller and Allen in the back end of that bullpen. And let's not forget about Dan Otero, who has been one of the surprise gems of the Cleveland Indians this year. A very nice value trade they made in the offseason to acquire him. I like that four-man bridge if Brian Shaw can reacquire that form he had prior to this year. Um, Bob, there's a lot to be excited about with this move. I think you said it best. Andrew Miller has pitched in high pressure situations in big playoff games for two teams that always have the spotlight on him I think his presence just adds just a huge weapon in that bullpen and I think it's going to have a big trickle-down effect to the rest of the players so very strong move by the tribe and clearly sending a signal that they're going for it yeah definitely and and just to kind of circle back around to the initial trade I mean I love the fact that this isn't a rental like a Rodas Chapman this is a guy who's going to get paid $9 million in 2017 and 2018. So he's going to be part of the Indians' plans, or you know, should things not work out for the Indians the next couple of seasons, he's going to be a very valuable asset on the market to kind of recoup the losses that they gave up. And then just kind of circling back to that initial move, you know, I, I understand your hesitance for giving up Clint Frazier. That being said, we already have Michael Brantley and Tyler Naquin. We have Bradley Zimmer also getting called up to AAA. We just drafted another outfielder in the first round. There's not a whole, that's not a huge position of need right now. There's already a logjam at outfield. I think that is what kind of softened the blow for me for getting a stud like Andrew Miller. I agree with that. I, I wasn't surprised to see uh, Frazier traded because, like you said, with the emergence of Tyler Naquin, and let's not forget Michael Brantley, as you mentioned, uh, there is definitely a logjam at outfield. This was a position of flexibility, so they trade from a position of strength to address a need. Obviously a very strong trade for the Cleveland Indians. And bottom line is we don't know what Cliff Frazier is going to do. He looks great in the minors, but remember a guy named Andy Marte, Bob? 
he'd always crush like hit 400 and crush a billion home runs in AAA. You call him up to the majors and he'd hit like 100. So look, I'm not saying yeah. Clint Frazier's Matt Laporta as well. Right, I'm not saying Clint Frazier's destined for that fate, but there are a lot of prospects who look great in the minors and don't put it together in the majors. So Andrew Miller has shown he can be elite. Clint Frazier, we'll see. I have no idea what's going to become of him, but the Indians need help now. The window is open. The iron is hot. Whatever metaphor you want to use, go for it. But, Bob, (laughs) Miller wasn't the only guy they got. Yeah, that's right. Uh, not just Andrew Miller. Um, you know, they they did have one other major deal. We'll talk about that in a second. But the one other deal that they made, the third deal uh, for a guy that, that's coming to Cleveland and is going to play for us is Brandon Geyer, the outfielder from Tampa Bay. A guy, uh, like we said, there's uh, not a whole lot of room in the outfield, but a guy that can absolutely hit left-handed pitching. Um, is definitely expected to be that platoon player. Uh, currently against left-handed pitching, he's hitting 344 with four home runs uh, against right-handed pitching, just 196. So this is a guy that, you know, left-hander on the mound, you can expect to see Geyer in there. He can play all three outfielder positions. I think it's a great uh, just kind of supplemental addition to uh, an offense that doesn't have a whole lot of standout studs. So they're just kind of, supplementing their offense by committee even more with a guy that can really hit left-handed pitching yeah and and to compound it all is that a he didn't cost that much he still is under control for a bit Um, you know you look at his surface numbers 241 isn't going to jump out at you but like you said it's the left-handed pitching that's the key you have a guy who can platoon in there you already have kind of a platooning outfield with the exception of Tyler Naquin who Bob, we said in the preseason Naquin could has a chance to be the guy, and we didn't want to put too much expectations on him. Well, Naquin stepped up big time and has really filled yeah. a void left by Michael Brantley. Um, but I do think Brandon Geyer, getting back to him, if Michael Brantley's shoulder injury is worse than they're letting on, and it, and it seems like it is because he keeps having setbacks with it, um, Geyer is a good safety net for that. I'm not saying he's going to do what Michael Brantley does, but at least now you have a little more depth in your outfield. Uh, You're not just relying on on these guys all the time. You can play some more matchups. And like you said, he can play all three outfield positions, so it just gives this lineup a little more versatility. Uh, I believe they DFA'd Juan Uribe Uribe, um, to make room for Geyer, so I, I I would guess Jose Ramirez is now going to be the everyday third baseman with the addition of Geyer. Yeah, there's a lot of positional versatility uh, on this uh, on this team. So, so getting rid of Juan Uribe, you can slot uh, Ramirez over there. You can also have uh, Lonnie Chisenhold, you know, kind of attempt to play third base again if you need. <laughs> um, Brandon Geyer, yeah, uh, you know, definitely going to be in the mix against left-handed pitching with Naquin, Chisenhold, and even Brantley all being those left-handed pure hitters. It's really good to have a guy. Uh, other than Rajay Davis, that that can hit in the outfield at, from from the right-handed spot. So um, I like the move. It, it doesn't move the needle, but um, for a team that is in first place, that added a star closer already, it's it's a really nice move. Number two, this is usually the move, the only move that we're expecting or that we see from the tribe. So it's nice that uh, it's it's really just a complimentary move, which makes makes it look even better. All right, Bob. It's impossible not to talk about the trade that was made but wasn't made. They almost addressed a huge need behind home plate and catcher 
getting Jonathan Lucroy. And I feel like if they could have gotten Jonathan Lucroy in addition to these other two guys, that just would have been the ultimate cherry on top of an already very delicious chocolate cake with icing. <laughs> but unfortunately, Jonathan Lucroy had a, new, a limited no-trade clause, and the Cleveland Indians were one of the teams that he could veto. And he used that clause to try to leverage the Indians into either committing more money to him or giving up that 2017 option neither of which the Indians did, so he vetoed the trade, and now he will be on the Texas Rangers because he didn't have, his no-trade clause didn't include Texas, so he was allowed to be traded there without sort of any repercussions. Um, We'll get to that in a minute, but Bob, what are your thoughts on Jonathan Lucroy, easily the best catcher on the market or the best catcher moved at the deadline what are your thoughts on him saying no to Cleveland? Uh, just just for the record, the trade would have sent Francisco Mejia, Yu Chung Chang, Greg Allen, and Sean Armstrong to Milwaukee. Uh, Francisco Mejia, the catcher, would have been the prize in that package. Um, but but Bob, back to Lucroy. What do you think of him saying no to Cleveland? From a fan's perspective, uh, it it frustrates me and makes me not like the guy I you know I I don't want the Rangers to succeed now I, I don't really want him to be part of a winning team I want him to have passed up the World Series champions in the Cleveland Indians and you know that would be great you know Chris Jimenez said that you know we're gonna laugh at him when we're holding up the World Series trophy and I hope that happens that would be the ultimate you know revenge plot to it that being said can't fault the guy for wanting to get out of that deal. I mean, a team option for $5 million, we're talking about one of the best hitting catchers in the, in the league, could go to open market one year earlier, still at age 30, and can cash in. And I, he hasn't really cashed in yet. Uh, the $5 million is going to be the highest amount of money he's ever made in a single season. So I can't fault him for that. Um, I do respect the Indians for you know not... Uh, letting him have his way because I, 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 I'm sure that the Brewers negotiated that trade with the valuation that Jonathan Lucroy wasn't just a rental, that he was under control for another year. I'm sure that was part of the negotiation, giving up four prospects for a catcher who next year won't be guaranteed that starting job because as good as Lucroy is, Jan Gomes is one of the best defensive catchers. They love him working the rotation. He will be back being the primary catcher. So I, I respect both sides to it, um, but the fan in me doesn't wish a whole lot of sex, success for LaCroix, particularly in this season. Yeah, let's just say Jonathan LaCroix won't be getting many drinks in the city of Cleveland anytime soon. But yeah. uh, look, you got to look at this in two ways. I got to take my fan hat off for a minute and understand that this is a business. Jonathan LaCroix had leverage, and he correctly utilized it to try to get a more favorable situation for himself I can't fault the man for doing something that anybody else in that situation would have done and and it's easy to say that you wouldn't do it because I'm making five million already but (laughs) come on man if you have a chance to make even more than five million it's human nature to leverage the best interest for yourself I, I have no problem with him doing that I do, at the time, have a problem with him turning down the chance to play for a championship team. Now, it worked out for him in the end. He still got traded to Texas. But for all he knew at the time, that could have been the best and only offer. 
And so he ran the risk of not getting what he wanted. I'm going to read a quote from you that he said back in January. I want to win, and I don't see us winning in the foreseeable future. I want to go to a World Series. That's what all players want. Rebuilding is not a lot of fun for any veteran guy. And the Indians gave him that chance because the Indians are a legitimate contender. And at the time, the Andrew Miller trade also broke too. So he kind of knew that the Indians were going for it. And he turned them down. And so I'm not questioning him per se because all he was doing was trying to leverage his situation. I'm not saying he doesn't have that in him. But I do think that had he not gotten traded to Texas, uh, he would have taken a bit of a hit, not just in Cleveland, but throughout more fan bases. Because fans don't like to see a player turn down, choose money over winning. I'm not saying that he was wrong to try to leverage his situation. But what I'm saying from a fan's perspective is fans don't like it when players prioritize money over winning I don't necessarily think that's fair to Jonathan Lucroy I don't necessarily think it's right but I I, I, the reality of situation is had he not gotten traded to Texas if he was still in Milwaukee after the trade deadline I do think fans would not have looked at him outside of Milwaukee of course in a very positive light yeah I, I totally get that as well especially from a fan standpoint I mean you you expect these guys to uh be uber competitors and, and to want to go to the best situation um yeah and, and like you said a couple of times it, it did work out for him I'm sure that he was uh you know if one deal was made and fell through he probably was very confident that he would be dealt to a buying team so good good for him to get traded but I, I totally get that and that's a very good point you know you you want these guys to uh be ultimate competitors and I think him going to Cleveland would have you know been that sign for sure and and the other the other element of it is the player is always at a disadvantage because Jonathan Lucroy is making five million dollars you you try to tell the the average fan I mean look like less than like nearly you know one percent of America is making more than like 600 or making more than six figures okay so most fans out there when they hear five million dollars they say wait that's not enough I mean, you want more? Like, they don't understand. Like, it just doesn't compute with them. It's like you you talk to a fan. They want you to say as a player that what you're making is enough. They don't like it when you prioritize, when you're already making seven figures, that you want more than that. And, And I get that from a fan's perspective. But I also understand Jonathan Lucroy's perspective because any fan that was in his position that had leverage because, look, man, players don't have leverage that often over a team. And he had leverage, a chance to hit the market earlier or get a more favorable contract, he took it. And, and I don't blame him for that. And I think that there are people out there who don't blame him for that. I'm not saying everyone. But I do think that if he didn't get traded, uh, I, I think that, that a lot of fans would have been like, look, man, what is this guy doing? He's making $5 million. He had a chance to go play for a winner, and he turned it down. Where's his heart at? And I don't think that that would have been fair to Jonathan Lucroy, but I think that that definitely would have happened had he not gotten shipped off to Texas. Yeah, definitely. I, I I definitely agree with you. Um, but Texas, man, they they're all in just like the tribe, and I I like. I mean, how how can you not like them going in and getting some heavy hitting bats uh, in Jonathan Lucroy and Carlos Beltran, right? Oh, certainly. I mean, first off, 
every hitter's dream is to hit in Texas. I mean, that, that's a very <laughs> favorable park. And now you've got two guys who'd like to hit going into the Texas Rangers. And Luke Roy fills a big need at catcher for the Rangers as well. Um, you Darvish is quietly coming back for the Rangers. They already have Cole Hamels. Their offense is always pretty good. They've added two pretty good bats. The Rangers are right there with the Tribe record-wise. And I want them to collide in the ALCS. And I want Jonathan Lucroy to fail miserably against my team, the team that he's turned down. And this is the fan talking right now. I want it. I want Texas and Cleveland in the ALCS. I want Game 7, top or bottom of the ninth. Cleveland's up, whatever. Jonathan Lucroy, two outs, bases loaded, and Andrew Miller strikes him out. That's what I want. I want, and I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't know if Andrew Miller will match up with him, but that's what I want. I want the guy the Indians got to come in and knock out the guy who turned him down in Game 7 of the ALCS with the bases <laughs> loaded. That's my ultimate dream scenario. Uh, I can't say I wouldn't enjoy it, but, um, you know, it's, uh, let's just say that I hope that happens for sure. Um, you know, but, Rangers one game out of the best record in all the MLB, just one game behind the Cubs now. Um, adding Beltron, adding Lucroy, not giving up Joey Gallo or Profar. They even supplement their bullpen by getting in Jeremy Jeffress. I mean, they're definitely in it. I, I like the moves that they made. The, they have a bullpen now that is hard throwing, and they, they added some bats, which was a need, just like the tribe. They, you know, they had a good rotation, they had a decent bullpen, and now they've upgraded both the both of that end so i like what they did uh who else do you do you like who would you consider winners of the trade deadline time out bob they're one game behind the cubs for the most wins they are behind the indians for the best record 588 win percentage buddy so let's get that right here let's get that right here indians have two fewer credit where credit is due sure Yeah. yeah yeah so let's not crown those rangers just yet okay not crown him just yet but anyway uh, to answer your question um who else do i like at the trade deadline i mean you gotta like what the giants did getting will smith from the brewers a guy that we talked about last week on the podcast possibly coming to cleveland um andrew miller obviously better but will smith probably didn't cost as much and then matt moore from the rays so good moves by the giants but bob man the dodgers rich hill rich hill has struggled with some injuries and josh reddick Though that's a pretty big trade for for Los Angeles, um, so certainly a big move there, and it completely, uh, you know, hurt me in my AL only league because not only did I lose those two guys to the NL, but Eduardo Nunez from the Twins also went to the Giants, so I lose <laughs> three of my best players in my AL only league to the National League, Bob. I, that it just completely crippled me down the stretch here, so. Not too happy with the Giants and the Dodgers right now. Well, I do I do apologize for that. <laughs> um, that that's never good when that happens. Uh, yeah, I, I like the Giants moves. Uh, definitely solid. You know, nobody really stands out a whole lot. I mean, obviously, I think the Cubs came out. You know, addressing their one issue that they had. You know, getting a world as Chapman, but we talked about that deal last week, and it, it wasn't really a a trade trade deadline deal. Um, I like what the Dodgers did. Yeah. It's not splashy. I think that the Dodgers wanted to make a much larger deal. Just didn't have any takers for it. You know, Chris sales still, still sit and put, um, 
for, in terms of the Dodgers getting Josh Reddick, I, I like that, but it does spell the end of Yasiel Puig in, in LA, at least for the time being, um, which is kind of disappointing and, and kind of surprising that he's already flaming out, out West. Um, other than that though, I mean, nobody else really stands out. I like that the Miami Marlins tried to make a huge spa- splash, but, uh, Colin Rea, one of the starting pitchers they got from the Padres, is already on the disabled list. He he lasted one start for Miami. Um, maybe Andrew Kashner can turn it around, but um, not not a whole lot of winners other than I'd say the Rangers tribe and you know maybe the Dodgers in a tier below them. One thing I am really liking is that nobody else in the AL Central made an impact move like the Indians. No, certainly not. That That's a good move because I was worried about Detroit. I thought maybe they'd get McCann or something like that. Um, Blue Jays with some sneaky trades. They just got Francisco Liriano. They also got Melvin Upton, some pretty good value there. And then the Pirates, they trade Liriano, but then they acquire Ivan Noah for not one, but two players to be named later with the Yankees. So it's kind of interesting that the Pirates trade Liriano and then acquire Nova. Still trying to figure that one out. Um Joe Smith reliever to the Cubs so the Cubs obviously really bolstering that bullpen because Joe Smith with Cleveland was a good setup guy now he's going to set up Chapman in Chicago and then the Twins go and get Hector Santiago uh, from the Angels I thought the Twins were sellers not buyers why why are they uh, I, I don't I don't get what they're doing there um so you know some some odd ones and then the Astros made a couple odd moves too they traded Scott Feldman to the Blue Jays and they made another move as well. Jay Bruce went to the Mets as well. That was a pretty good one. Um, but yeah, the Astros had a couple of weird moves. I I'm, I can't find the other one right now. But just 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 a little odd. Yeah, odd that they weren't really buying, especially you know with, with the Rangers going all in. It's not like the the Astros are out of it or even out of that the wild card race. You know, at fifty five and forty nine right now. So odd that they weren't in um i hate to admit it but the yankees are coming out with a treasure trove of prospects uh you know two top 50 guys frazier was one of them another top 75 guy who was uh sheffield and then uh of the fourth overall pick from last year so uh they finally you know came to their senses and started dealing away some of these players for a mediocre team i, I like that um the pirates yeah, it's interesting. Are they buyers or sellers? You know, they gave up Melancone to the Nationals, who was one of the best closers last year. Uh, they, you know, give away Liriano. They bring in Nova. It's uh, kind of questionable what they're doing, but they are hovering at 500, so maybe that will – maybe they, they were kind of confused about what to do as well. But, um, yeah, kind of a ho-hum trade deadline from uh, just a general MLB perspective, I'd say. But a wild and crazy one in Cleveland, man. This is not something we're used to. Yeah, definitely it, an atypical trade deadline. It it feels pretty good to have a team that went for it. Now I know the Lucroy deal didn't work out, but they tried. I mean that that's something that was out of their control, and they still had the deal done, and they still went out and made two other really solid moves. Bob, you you just got to love the fact that the front office got aggressive. They recognized they had a really strong chance to make some noise in the playoffs, and they're trying to capitalize this on this opportunity as much as possible. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um I I'm super excited that Andrew Miller is a Cleveland Indian, you know, definitely one of the 
best players in, in, in terms of relief pitching right now. So that that's so exciting that the Indians went out and got not just a guy, but one of the best guys, and he's going to stick around for a couple of years. It's great. Bob, this is like bizarro Cleveland. There's a championship in Cleveland. They're aggressive at the trade deadline. If my Lucroy scenario happened, the curse is truly broken because old Cleveland, that's a grand slam home run by Jonathan Lucroy to end the ALCS. If, if Andrew Miller strikes him out, then it is truly dead and buried, and we'll probably be talking about the Browns at like 7-0 and or something yeah. in October. Now, if that happened, then, then it's truly something magical is happening in Cleveland. But, man, I mean, it, it is just such an exciting time to be a Cleveland sports fan. I mean – I know it's hard to not – we are still a long ways away, but it's hard to not think about the potential of grabbing two major championships in the same year. It's just – it would be an, the ultimate dream come true. Yeah, for sure. It, it's a, it's an odd summer. I mean, it's a great summer, uh, Cleveland Sports 2016, but um, it's definitely been odd so far because I'm not accustomed to – our teams operating in this way and our teams having this much success. I really hope that it is uh, sustained and extended for sure. Um, you want to, you want to know what else is odd about this summer? What's that? That Tyrone Lou is now the sixth highest paid coach in the NBA. I don't think we'd ever s- thought we'd say that. Well, he was the highest paid assistant coach last year. So uh, good things happen to you when you win an NBA championship. Uh, That's amazing true, things happen to you when you win an NBA championship in Cleveland. Uh, yeah, he he had, uh, you know, the Cavaliers management wanted to negotiate with him midseason and, and sign him long term. He said no, maybe taking a bet on himself, maybe just wanting to focus on the team. But either way, it paid out for him. And, and now he's the sixth highest paid head coach in all the NBA. Good for him. I mean, it's uh it's deserved i mean he he won the title Uh, he did something that no other Cavs coach has ever done so yeah he didn't just win the title he outcoached steve kerr in those last three games he coached brilliantly down the stretch and i think that he got this Cavs team to play to its full potential something that david blatt just for whatever reason couldn't do blatt was a fine coach when the other two superstars weren't weren't healthy and he was still coaching a lot of role players I think Blatt is that kind of a coach but Tyrone Liu has that gift to get the superstars to buy in to the system he can get their respect and look you can be the best X's and O's guy in the world but if you just don't have that gift that that ability to get these guys to believe it just doesn't work And, and it's clear that this team was totally different so much better under Tyrone Liu than it was under Blatt and kudos to him I'm glad they locked him up long term now someone else they need to get in here and lock up long term is J.R. Smith because I keep reading a new story every day about how the Celtics are really you know pursuing him I don't know if it's true or not but you know you keep writing something over and over again it eventually I'm going to start believing it I guess yeah the Celtics are are really itching to sign their sixth shooting guard to the team um, but yeah, it, it's another week. J.R. Smith still hasn't signed. LeBron still hasn't signed. Um, not particularly concerned. They're, actually, the J.R. Smith stories I'm reading don't have to deal with the Celtics. It has to do with him, Tristan Thompson, LeBron uh, partying in Toronto with Drake. So, you know, he is sticking close with the Cavs. I, I, I'm not 
particularly concerned about either J.R. Smith, I guess, as time goes by, the more worried I get. But I, I still think they're obviously LeBron's going to be in a Cleveland uniform. I still think Smith will be one into be, be in one too. LeBron said a couple weeks ago that he's definitely signing. I think he's just debating whether or not he wants to do a one-year deal or if he wants to go in now and get paid because of that 36 rule. If he wants to challenge, if he wants to wait and see what the CBA holds, or if he just wants to go in now because of that whole age 36 rule, something with the max contract, it's it's one of those yeah. weird NBA contract rules that will prevent LeBron from getting paid as much as he'd like. Um but J.R. Smith, you're right. I mean, the more time goes on, the more I get a little worried. But I'm hopeful that J.R. Smith is going – th- I think they'll both be back in Cleveland when it's all said and done. It's just a matter of some details. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we did a big Cleveland Browns uh, training camp preview last week. Uh, definitely check that out if you want to hear what we think about the roster. Uh, disclaimer, it's not as positive as the rest of this podcast is but it's still worth a listen um, a, w- a week down in the camp. Chris, what takeaway are, do you have uh, from the first week, if any? Uh, so far that everyone is raving about Terrell Pryor, that he's running uh, longer routes. He's learning at receiver, developing well. The guy is an athletic freak. He has the build and the speed to be a good wide receiver in this league if he can just learn the fundamentals of route running and, of course, you know, using your hands and things like that. Not saying you can't catch the ball, but there's a little more to it than just catching the ball when you have to be on your tippy toes and balancing and controlling it and all that stuff. So if he can get that down, man, he has got the physical gifts to be one heck of a wide receiver. So that is definitely encouraging from my end. Definitely intriguing. Uh, The only caveat I have is that people raved about him last year as well, and he ended up getting cut. So we will have to see another year of it, though. It, it sounds good. One quick note, though. He did have an injury. He had a hamstring injury. That For sure. contributed to him getting cut. So a little different, but I, I agree. I mean, look, it's training camp. A long way to go. You still got to do it in game, but it's an encouraging sign. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my big takeaway is, you know, Hugh Jackson announced that they're going to announce their game one starter before the first preseason game. Thank get him all the, get him all the first team reps and it looks like that guy is rg3 he's the only one who worked out with the first team in training camp this this first week so uh how refreshing is it chris that we have uh we're gonna know who our our game one starting quarterback for the browns uh in the first couple weeks of august I have been shouting this like most other cleveland fans at the top of my lungs i'm i, I hate when the Browns wait till like the third or fourth preseason game to name a starter. I just don't think that that's a good thing. You need to get the guy as many reps as possible and get him prepared. So yes, this is a fantastic development. I think yeah. the longest you can go is maybe one preseason game. I, I, to me, I'm most comfortable when the starter's named by the second preseason game. But I'm I'm glad that Hugh Jackson's not even going to mess around with that. He's just yeah. going to do it commit to a guy and go i think that's really the way you need to be especially with a guy like robert griffin the third who yeah there are some physical issues that need to get addressed but a lot of the his issues are completely mental so that's a huge mental positive boost for him if he is that guy knows he he doesn't have to play in a competition he can just be himself and work on his game throughout these preseason games 
And let's not forget, I mean, with all his injuries, he hasn't had a lot of reps. And then last year, he was the backup. So he didn't have, it's not like he was the starter last year and he's switching teams. I mean, this guy needs reps to get acclimated to this offense, to the system, and just getting back into the groove of being the starting quarterback again because he wasn't last year. Yeah, definitely. So that uh, I guess that's two positive takeaways. No, no terrible news out of Brown's training camp. That's good. No news is good news. The Chad Johnson era might be over already. <laughs> well, did it ever begin? I don't. I don't know. But apparently, he's he hasn't he wasn't there, and he's not coming back or something. Like on Saturday, like he was there on Friday, and he and he wasn't coming back or something. Yeah, no, I, the no, only excuse me, he wasn't at practice Monday, and uh, Coach Hugh Jackson said he might not be coming back. Yeah. And uh, the only quote that Hugh Jackson has is, he learned coaching is a tough business. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> That's so, not an encouraging yeah. sign. Chad Johnson is one of my favorite I, former I players. <laughs> I, I honestly loved Chad Johnson because, I, I mean, he, he, was, he was just entertaining. And I, honestly, I know he and some of the other guys, uh, mainly him, were the reason the NFL really cracked down on, on end zone celebrations. But, man, those were fun. I, I did think those were kind of fun. They added a little bit of lightheartedness to the game. I, I'm sure the other team didn't appreciate it at all. But as a fan, it was entertaining, and, and, and I would certainly enjoyed uh, Chad Johnson, both when he would show up other people and when he'd get shown up. Because, honestly, when he didn't bring it, I mean, he did face the music better than most. I mean, he, he actually would get up there and actually, you know, face the music if he called someone out and, and couldn't deliver. So I do I did give him a lot of props when he played because he was out there, but he, he did also face the music when, when he needed to. Yeah, definitely. And behind all the bells and whistles, he was one of the best wide receivers in the game during oh, that time. So No question. Uh, no question. Yeah. He was awesome. Yeah, for sure. All right, Bob, we haven't talked much about the Ohio State Buckeyes, but uh, the Urban Meyer recruiting machine does not sleep. Emory Jones, uh, the number three dual-threat quarterback, has committed to Ohio State's 2018 recruiting class. So it's a couple years away, but, Bob, I mean, what do you think? Well, it's not just the Urban Meyer recruiting machine, but the Urban Meyer – perfect fit quarterback recruiting machine where he finds a guy that can run that uh, read option throw option offense and Emory Jones by all accounts is a perfect fit in the profile of JT Barrett Braxton Miller uh, you know even take it back to Florida and compare him to those guys so not a big surprise that you know Urban Meyer has his guy and that he's a highly touted dual threat quarterback Uh, the number 34 overall prospect prospect in 2018 as well so uh, not a big surprise but yeah I mean the recruiting machine never sleeps and especially Urban Meyer's recruiting machine and the other thing is you turned down Clemson to go to Ohio State which is I think pretty significant he was also considering Tennessee and Georgia he's from Georgia so this is Urban Meyer going into SEC country and getting a gem prospect and I'm not trying to make this about the Big Ten and the SEC but historically it's been tough for Big Ten schools to recruit down there so it's another big win for that program quarterback is a little bit different since there is only one spot um it's probably a little bit easier to bring those guys out but yeah it is I mean anytime 
Ohio State can go into the south or, or vice versa, the south can go up north and get a get a big time recruit, it is a huge win. So yeah, definitely they have to be celebrating in Columbus right now. Certainly. But we also want to wait till he hits the field in two thousand eighteen before we celebrate too much because let's just be real. He's true, yeah. He's probably just learning to drive. So <laughs> Right. So uh, hey, it's it's always good to get talent, but you, you would like to see what that talent does before you celebrate too much. And look, I'm not I'm not trying to say he's not gonna be good, but let's wait and see. Yeah, definitely. But all righty, man, we packed a ton of positive Cleveland sports talk into this podcast. Bob, this was a pretty good podcast given that a superstar turned down Cleveland in a trade deadline. That, that's pretty good. Well, we're so rich with success and wealth right now that, you know, <laughs> we don't need them. We're, we'll be just fine. Yeah, we say that now. Hopefully we won't regret that in the playoffs. But, hey, yeah. hopefully that dream scenario of mine can come true. We'll have to wait until October to find that out. But fortunately, you guys won't have to wait that long for another podcast because we'll be back next week with another episode of Clee Talk as usual presented by Fenley Road Sports. If you would like to subscribe to Clee Talk, you can search for us on iTunes. Just search Fenley Road Sports. Click Clee Talk, click subscribe, and then click that five-star rating too because that would help us out a little bit. You can also follow us on Twitter, Fenley Road Sports, or on Instagram, Fenley Road Sports. Come back to FenleyRoadSports.com. We'll have more content for you, as always. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. And until then, go Tribe. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go Tribe. Take it easy, Bob.